0: There's two words I want to share with you, uh, this morning, two words that when I say them, they will send a chill down your spine. When those two words get associated with someone that, you know, you're like, Oh dude, so sorry. If you get a letter in the mail with those two words on it, you're like, Oh Lord, what did I do to deserve this? And it's uh, now, um, it's, and then once you get, if you get that in the two words, are so, that's like the worst day until it actually happens. These two words I'm talking about, jury duty. Yeah, yeah. That's like, I mean, it, it's, I, I, you know, that's just, it's just the worst. Now, how many of you have actually spent a day at the courthouse on jury duty? Can I ask? Wow, look at that. How many of you have spent a day at the courthouse because you were on trial for a crime? Don't answer that. All right, don't answer that. Uh, <laughs> although for those, just, you know, watch, you got to watch those things. Uh, now there aren't too many days that I wished I was in this country illegally, but man, when you get that notice, you're like, why am I legal? You know, you have that, um, my wife now I've known in December, I will have known my wife. Uh, it'll have been 21 years since the day we met happy stay of her life. And, uh, and, and it will, and in the 21 years that I've known my wife, uh, 16 of them, Married, uh, she's only gotten picked once. Now I have questioned her citizenship in this country, you know, and uh, and and, but but here's the thing: is that she only got picked once, and the day that she went, she got there, and they said, "Oh, hey, um, I'm sorry, it's a judge's conference, so we're sending everybody home." I'm like, "Come on, where's the justice in that?" Anyway, I I get, I've gotten picked a bunch of times and been on juries and. Anyway, it's like, it's horrible. And, but i tell you what, one of the guys on our staff, he got picked for jury duty. It's the funniest thing. Like everybody, once everybody on our staff heard, uh, they're like, hey, hey, Johnny, what are you doing? And like, oh, you know, I got jury duty. They're like, oh, so sorry. You know, and, and, or then it's like, hey, you know, I was talking to him and I'm like, hey, you know, tomorrow, this and that. I was telling him, he's like, oh, Pastor Bob, um, I, 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 uh, it was on the calendar, but I, I'm, at, I'm at jury duty tomorrow. And I'm like, oh. What did you do to deserve that? you got to pray more, man, uh, you know, and uh, it was it was crazy, but now I bring that up because listen today I want you to be the judge, uh, not for the sake of judging somebody else or even condemning yourself or condemning yourself no we 're not talking not judging in that way, but judging for the sake of evaluation, judging for the sake of maybe testing yourself. I want you to be the judge this morning because uh, I want you, through the course of our time together, I want you to look at your own life and f- ask yourself if you're growing as a Christian. In the Bible, there's this amazing passage in, in the book of 2 Corinthians where we're actually called to test ourselves, to have an examination of sorts and, and, and ask ourselves, are we really growing? In fact, I put, it's the first verse in your outline. It says this, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. There is so much confusion, I believe, when it comes to spiritual growth and how you grow, if you grow, what does it mean to grow? Is it just about knowing stuff? Is it just about doing stuff? What does it actually mean to be a person who's growing in their faith? So what I wanted to do as we got started in... in um, as we're going to go back to 1 Peter and kind of work our way verse by verse through that, I, I wanted to take some time today and talk about three truths, what I believe to be foundational truths about spiritual growth. And so I hope you have your, note, your outline that we gave you and your pen, because I'm going to have you write a couple of things down as we get started. Here's the first one, is that spiritual growth is not automatic. It's not automatic. Sometimes we think as Christians we're growing in our faith, that it's, it's automatic just because we've kind of... Um, put our time in, you know, I've been here for a while, Or I've been a Christian for X number of years or whatever. And and that must mean that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm growing, right? That that I should automatically be growing. But listen, there are some people that, although they have years in the faith, they're still infants spiritually, because listen, you don't have to be, you say, some people have been Christians for 10 years. Some people have been Christians for one year, 10 times, and they're still kind of doing the very basic things. They still haven't gotten into a, a, a rhythm and, and, and really started to take off uh, in, in their spiritual growth because they just haven't really um, taken their relationship with God that seriously. The Bible would say it this way. It's in, in Hebrews chapter 5. The writer says, uh, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot... Eat solid food. You see, once we recognize this, that, hey, it's not automatic, it takes intentionality to actually grow spiritually, that's the beginning. The second thing is, and this is so huge, and that is that spiritual growth is practical. It's practical. I believe that so much of spiritual maturity is shrouded in in mystery. It's shrouded in drama. What does it mean? And we think that, well, you just start attending church and then someday God kind of like bops you over the head, you know, bibbity bobbidi bible And you, you know, you're, now, now you're mature. Woo! And now you, I know all the mysteries of the deep and, and whatever. And that's actually not how it works. The way it works is is that the, it's the consistent doing of certain habits that make, a person, that make spiritual growth a reality in a person's life. And sometimes what we do is we, we divide the spiritual and the physical. Like, well, this is kind of what I'm, uh, physically what I do and kind of my actions. And then spiritually, it's like, this is all the ethereal stuff. Like, oh, you know, all the, the mysterious stuff. And, and that's part of our problem in, in measuring spiritual growth. In, 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 a, in the Jewish world that Jesus was born in, um, and all the guys in the Old Testament that we read, uh, there's actually, and this is so important, there is no Hebrew word for spiritual. Now, there's a Hebrew word for spirit. Ruach, where we were talking about the Holy Spirit. But there's no word in Hebrew for spiritual. You know why? Because in the Jewish mind, everything was spiritual. Your work is a spiritual thing. Uh, your words are a spiritual thing. Your interactions with people, your relationships are spiritual. The way you treat your wife or your husband is spiritual. The way you raise your kids is spiritual. And so we have to understand that that's, that's, the, that's a reality for us. It, it's, not this, it's a very practical thing. And, and it's, it's that spiritual maturity will affect how you speak, how you think, what you say, what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on, who you spend time with. It, it affects everything. The Bible would say it this way uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. You see, the same way a person becomes physically fit by doing certain practical things consistently, the same thing happens spiritually. You, 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 you do certain things that really, that just kind of build your spiritual muscles. You spend some time reading the Bible. There's nothing mysterious about reading the Bible. Now, the, the God's Spirit can give us understanding and give us wisdom, and we ask for that. But like, just saying, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to open the Bible, and I'm going to read one chapter, that's a very practical thing. But we've got to stop just kind of separating spiritual things and physical things because, once again, as, as we look at them, according to the Bible, they're, they're all connected. Because it's a matter of, listen, learning spiritual disciplines and then turning them into habits because char- character is shaped, by the ha- is shaped by the habits that we develop. And then here's a third one that I, that I think is really important and that is that spiritual growth is a personal responsibility, it's a personal responsibility. The Bible says this. It's the verse before what we just read in 1 uh, Timothy. He says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. I've seen too many Christians hold churches responsible for their lack of growth. Can I just tell you that that's absolutely wrong? Listen, um, you are, are resp- according to the Bible, you are responsible for your growth as a believer. Now, the church, God's house, we are here to assist you, to train you, to encourage you, to equip you, all of that. But you've got to avail yourself of the opportunities that the church, uh, that the church gives you. But listen, if you don't assume responsibility for your spiritual growth, development, and maturity, you're, you're never going to reach maturity. Instead, here, here's what you would know. In fact, like the, the lack of taking responsibility shows a lack of maturity, Right? Just because a kid turns 16 doesn't mean you give them the keys to the car. So it's like, you know, hey, I'm 16, and uh, give me the keys. I'll see you tomorrow. Like, uh, no, uh, you know, because you're not getting a license because apparently you're not even really sure where the hamper is in this house. So uh, and once you, maybe you can figure out where the hamper is, and you can find out, like, you know, the, the pillow goes here, and then the blanket goes here. And let's start making the bed, and then we'll think about, you know, you getting a Subaru or something. Um, but, that, you know, until then, that, that ain't, that ain't going to happen. And so, once again, the, the, the ability to resume responsibility is a marker of maturity physically. Same thing true spiritually. Three weeks ago, we started this series uh, that we called Becoming. As we're working our way through First Peter. And, and one of the things that we talk about is that there's a person that all of us want to become. And we're all here, and we want to get there. But we're all trying to figure out, well, how do I get from here to there? And what, what Peter does in his first letter is, is that he writes to these believers, these young Christians, and he's talking to them about how God has saved them, the work that God's doing in them. But then he says, listen, he wants to help them get from here to there to become the person that they ultimately want to become. And the thing is is that the road from here to there doesn't always go the way we think it would. We think it's just kind of a straight shot from, from here to there, and that's not always the case. In fact, even as we've been uh, reading First Peter over the last couple of weeks, you've seen that there have been a couple of, you know, twists and turns that he's taken. Like, I didn't think that he'd take us here because I ultimately want to get there. But then on the back, you look, yeah, it makes sense. I have to get here so I can ultimately get there. And so what Peter does is that he identifies three areas, three areas that are so practical that he says, listen, if you just think about, you just think about what's happening in your, in your head, you think about what's happening in your heart, and you think about what's happening with your hands, you'll be able to understand everything as to where you are maturity-wise. So I'm going to invite you to open with me to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to start in verse 13, where we left off. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. and So here's where we're going to start. In verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing I want to share with you of the, the three things about becoming a Christian who's growing is this. Here, here's the first one. Number one, uh, growing Christians fortify their minds. They fortify their minds. And, and what Peter does to explain this uh, is he says, he uses this term that most of us are not familiar with, and he says, gird up the loins of your mind. And you're like, yeah, I never used that one before. And yeah, it's like, well, what in the world does that mean? And, um, you know, I was, com- I was kind of putting something together to, uh, to explain it to you, but I thought, you know what? If to really understand gird up the loins of your mind, I'm going to have you watch this.
1: In ancient times in the Middle East, men traditionally wore a robe as part of their everyday attire. The robe is not to be confused with a dress or muumu. It was a practical adaptation from a desire to appear modest and to keep cool in a warm climate. This everyday attire, however, did present some practical challenges. For example, if he had to lift something heavy requiring him to squat or to bend his legs, providing a strong lifting base, the robe would prove to be a limitation. Or if he wanted to play a game involving running or kicking a ball, the robe would limit his range of motion. Or if he were attacked by a wild animal. When he wanted to accomplish something difficult, these limitations led to the phrase, gird up your loins or gird up your loincloth. First, a man would reach between his legs and grab the backside of his robe and pull it upward toward his waist. Next, the robe would be tucked into the man's belt securing it. After a man would gird up his loins, he would have better mobility like squatting to lift, running in place, kicking a ball and standing in a wide stance defensive posture. Seeing a man who has girded up his loins was a common sight in the ancient world. Although able to move about with greater freedom, he looked ridiculous, as if he were wearing a diaper. This gave way to what we refer to as pants.
0: So there you have it. If you ever wanted to know what that was, now you know. And, uh, but Peter says this when he says, gird up your loins. He doesn't just say, gird up your loins. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Which means essentially to pull together all of those loose ends of your mind and be mentally sharp. Because what we can do instead of girding up the loins of our mind, of pulling all these loose ends together and being mentally sharp, we can actually let our minds wander into negativity, into a critical spirit that can consume us. But Peter says something else just gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Now he's not talking about drinking per se, but he's talking about don't let anything cloud your judgment or impair you from living the life that you're called to live by God. Now I want to I want to ask you a question. This is a rhetorical question, so don't shout because that that could be weird if you're the only one who shouts. Yay! Uh, hey! Oh, I'm, I'm the only one. Anyway, so uh, so just think about this if you would. But what what are you thinking about? Like all the time. I mean, what is it that you think about? What's on your mind? See, I. Um, my kids, just like every other kid, my kids love Plato, and um, the the thing about, um, I, I personally think that uh, Plato was invented by Satan, but that's something else entirely. Um, because you're like, oh, Plato's so cute, and then your kids are putting Plato in the screens of your house, and you're like, yeah, that ain't good. And then you know, and then there's your your, your parents, um, they hated Plato, but it it gives them joy. When they see your kids doing the stuff that you did to them, they see it as the circle of life, you know, and they hear Elton John in the background and Simba and everybody and, uh, and, and all that. And so now, but the thing is cool as this, is that when my kids see Plato, they see endless possibilities. Well, two of my kids, Olivia, who's a year old, she sees Plato and she says, Hey, that's food. Um, But everybody else, you know, but, but because Plato is completely moldable, you ever tried to mold cardboard? You ever get something, you buy something and you're like, oh, that's not right. You take it out, you try to put it back into the box and it's like, you know, and it never works out. And the box, ripped, you know, and it's because the cardboard doesn't mold the way it's you want it to mold. And, and, and listen, now here's what God wants for you to be open and willing to be molded by him. Now, I want to read you this passage out of the book of Romans, and this is out of what's called The Message, which is more of a paraphrase of the Bible, but I love the way he says it. He really gets the heart of what this passage means. Here's what he says. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But let God remold your minds from within so that you, can, you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. Meets all his demands and moves toward the goal of true maturity. Right? I mean, we've all seen a cake mold and we all recognize this reality. The cake doesn't shape the mold. The mold shapes the cake. And that's just, that it just is what it is. And all of us are being molded, whether you realize it or not. All of us are being molded. Some people are, are, even as adults, are still being molded by what their parents had said to them early in life. Some people are being molded by something that happened in the past that they've never been able to let go. Some people are are being molded by their schooling. Some people by the media. And others still, some are, are allowing themselves to be molded by God. That's why the verse says, let God remold your mind. Let let me read it to you in another translation. He says, uh, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And listen, one of the reasons that some of us aren't living a godly life or we're not really growing into the life that we really want is because we haven't changed the way that we think. We've allowed old patterns to remain. We've allowed those things to be king over what God wants to do in our lives. We've let old voices become the major voices in our minds. We've let movies and culture kind of try to shape our worldview uh, and let that kind of permeate our minds. And then we wonder why we have, why we have no spiritual power. You see, here's how it starts. It starts by putting godly things in your mind. Start putting godly things in your mind. Start spending a few minutes in the morning and just read the Bible. Put on some music that's, um, that's going to uplift you and you'll see what's going to happen in your life. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that you're trusting God more, that you're believing God more, that you're stepping out in faith more. Why? Because the stuff that you've put in your mind is eventually working its way into your heart and then through your actions. The Bible would say it this way, and I love this passage in Philippians uh, where uh, Paul writes this. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. See, my friends, the beginning of really of growing as a Christian, continuing to grow as a Christian, growing to maturity as a Christian, the the beginning of living a godly life is allowing God to continue to mold and shape your mind in the way that you think. But he doesn't stop there. He actually goes on in verse 17. I want to show you this. He says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing that I want to show you about growing spiritually and and, and Christians who continue to grow. And here's the second one. It's that growing Christians consider their conduct. They consider their conduct. Listen, Peter is focusing in on this. That's why in verse 15 and verse 17 and verse 18, he talks about that we need to consider. He talks about our conduct. And, and how, we, um, how we live our lives. And, and here's the way that you can know that you're growing. That your inward beliefs are matched by your outward action. You, you, you know what someone believes internally by what they're doing externally. And there's a word for that. The word for that is integrity. Now, integrity is a, um, is a word that you hear. But you're like, you know, where, did, where does that word actually come from? The word integrity is actually a, a math term. It comes from the root word integer. And um, if if you remember uh, that an integer is a whole number and God's goal then is for us to live with integrity is for us to live with wholeness. Now, integrity for a Christian means that we talk to people, right, about how God can change your life. We talk about the work that God is doing in us, but the hope is this, is that the life that we offer people should match the life that we're living that the work that we say God can do in someone's life matches the work that God is doing in our lives. Because if we say, man, God wants to do a great work in your life and He wants to change your life and all this, but I mean, do our lives look like they've been transformed? Do our lives look like we're living them with integrity and wholeness? Let me explain it this way, if I can. Um, I want to ask you if um, any of you have ever... Um, purchased some of these at your favorite... Uh, me- How many of you have ever purchased bananas at your favorite supermarket? Okay. Now, whether you go to... I don't know if you're like a Publix person or Whole Foods or Fresh Market or some of your old school Sedanos. That's what I do. All right. Uh, all right. Now, all right. Now, now, check it out. Check it out. Now, here, here's, um, here's the thing. Now, my thing is, you, you all say that you've bought a banana. But see, I would go out on a limb and say you've never actually purchased a banana. You've only actually purchased a banana peel. Because I've never seen a person, Publix is my preferred place, because, you know, it's always a pleasure when I'm shopping there. And uh, uh, But here's the thing. I've never seen anyone go to uh, Publix and then, uh, you know, break it open. Like, they they, they they pull it off the bunch and they're like, ha, huh, what do you know? It really is in there. Uh, you know, I wasn't sure. And then they take, well, let me just make sure. And then they take a bite. Like, hmm, it really is. really is a banana. And, and uh, you know... Why? Because you just assume if it's on the outside that it's on the outside. Anybody want a banana? I know some of you are hungry uh, right here. OK, there you go. Coming at you. Coming at you. All right. Couple in the back. Incoming. All right. Couple over here. Watch out. All right. And more, more one there. Watch out. Careful with your head, sir. Church can be violent. Um, there you go. There you go. By the way, when we get into a new building, we ain't playing like this anymore. All right, straight back. Pregnant woman, she gets it. Um uh, not, <laughs> all right. Now. Okay. So, you've um you 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 agree with that. Now, how many of you have ever purchased this? Um okay. Now. Now, here here okay. Now, here's what my guess is. You've never actually purchased a watermelon. You've actually only purchased the rind of a watermelon. Now, here's the cool thing. How do, what do you do to to make sure Like when you go, this is the funniest thing, by the way, you go to, you know, the produce department is you see people, what do they do? Like, Oh, which, which watermelon is good to go. They knock. And what are you looking for? Somebody just shout. What are you looking for? What is it supposed to sound like? Hollow. Hollow. Now you guys seem like a reasonably intelligent bunch. You're trying to tell me you go to the supermarket to buy a watermelon. And when it sounds empty, that's the one you want to buy. That doesn't even make any sense, but that's what we do. Okay. Who is it? Anyway, I'm just getting messing with you. All right. Now, now here's the thing that we understand. The thing that we understand is this, is that we recognize that everything God creates, He creates with integrity. That what it advertises on the outside is what's happening on the inside. You know that when you go by your produce, and listen, that's the work that God is doing in you. That's the work that God seeks to do in you. He wants to take the word that He's put in you the, 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 the salvation that he's put in you, and he wants to see that permeate into every area of your life. That's why in the passage that we read in verse 16, he says, but as he who called you is holy, be holy in all your conduct, because as it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, Peter quotes that passage from the book of Leviticus, and, and he's not talking about be holy, and he's not talking about being holier than thou. That's something else, and Jesus isn't real a big fan of that. And uh, he's not talking about perfection either. Uh, The the word holy in Hebrew is the word kadosh. And the word kadosh means um, separate, set apart. And the reason that you would set apart or separate it is because it's being used for a special purpose. uh, In in the tabernacle and in the temple, there were certain instruments that were used. And here's what God says about all those instruments, that they are kadosh. They are holy. They are are separate. They are set apart for a specific purpose purpose, because those were utensils, things that were used for the house of God. And that's it. But I want you to know that God wants you to live a life that is holy, that's full of wholeness and integrity, that actually, um, as, as you live your life, what you're going to find is, is that God has separated you from, from all kind of, you know, culture and all that, that he set you apart for something special. Do you know that, that you're set apart for something special? That you've been set apart, think about this, to have the privilege to serve God. That you have the privilege to be a light to people who are far from God. And sometimes I talk to people, they're like, Pastor Bob, I'm, I'm the only Christian in my office. And all those other people are demon possessed. And it's, it's crazy. And, and listen, and, and, and I tell them, like, here's the deal. That's according to plan. That God has placed you there to be a light and to live with integrity so that those people can see what a real transformed life looks like. So they can say, man, there's something different about you. I want to know more about you. And then you say, man, it's not really me, but it's about the work that God has done in me. And now work that God is doing through me that he wants to do in you and through you. There's a reason why you're the only, you might be the only Christian in your family. Listen, I came to know Jesus at 19 years of age. And uh, outside of my older brother, I was the only Christian in my family. And I, I came back. Um, I was dating Carrie at the time. We had both become Christians and we were in Boston. We came back uh, to Florida. My family thought I was crazy. They thought I was nuts. I was the only one who was a Christian. And and I was, um, and it's like, and here's the thing. I was in a band and, you know, I mean, I was like outlaid and kind of living like the party kind of life and, you know, chasing girls and all this kind of stuff. And, and then, um, and then I became a Christian and, and I walked away from all of that. And I started growing. I wanted to know God who had arrested me and and, and started changing my life. And you know what my, so instead of doing all this crazy stuff and getting thrown out of clubs and all this stuff that I'm not extremely proud of. And uh, that then, you know, my family would come in and like, what's wrong with you? What? You don't go out anymore. We don't hear from the cops anymore. Now you're like reading books. I even heard you have a library card. Well, you know, it is true. I have a library card now. You know, they're giving those books out for free over there. You know that? And, uh, and it was great. And listen, they thought I was insane. Why? Because I, I'm trying to like really understand something. That it's like God had changed me. And I'm like, I, I want to understand this. I want to grow in this and, and learn in, in this. And I want God to use my life. And at some point, they're going to think you're nuts. And that's okay. Because listen, it's so that the people around you who don't know God, they're going to see your life. And as you trust God, even in times that are difficult, listen, you're going to, they're going to, they're going to draw close to God because of you. The Bible says this, many of you know, this verse says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works, not your good words, not your good sermons, not the little stuff you post on Facebook. That's absolutely annoying. And, uh, uh, and all that's not, not that, not the little Bible notes you leave in your husband's sandwich and like literally in the sandwich. What is that? It's a Bible track and baloney. And, uh, And not on that, no, that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So he says this hey, so as God is holy, be holy. As God is set apart from humanity, be set apart too and live for Him. Put Him first, live with integrity. Because what this world needs now more than anything is a group of Christians who will do the right thing even when it's hard, who will stand for truth even when it's unpopular. Who will love people even when they don't feel like it. Who will do the right thing even when it costs them. That's the person that God is seeking to transform you into. And that's the person that you want to become. That's the person you want to become. And that's the person that God wants to transform you into. But you've got to make a decision to say, you know what? I'm going to live with integrity. I'm going to allow the word that God's put in me to flow through me. To do some things that may feel uncomfortable at first. But I'm going to do it and watch God work in my life. And we got to stand up and start doing it. Look at what he says, verse 22. This is where we're going to start making our initial descent. Here's what he says. He says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which abides and lives forever. Because... All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, this is the word by which, by the gospel, was preached to you. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the last thing I want to show you. Uh, That growing Christians, here's what they do. They grow their heart. They grow their heart. He says this, listen, because you have been born again, and that's a term that the Bible uses uh, to refer not just someone who's been born physically, all of us have been born physically, but then there's other people who have been born again. That is, that they've been born spiritually, given a new start, a new life in Jesus, that then we can have supernatural love for people. Not a cultural love where we tell people we love them, but then never back that up with actions. But see, Peter says that we have a love like we find in God's word that endures forever. Because it's easy to love people who are easy to love. It is. It's, it's easy to love people. It's easy to love people. Listen, this is so true. It's easy to love people who are going through a tough time and you're doing great. And be like, hey man, it's cool. Don't worry about it. Um, you know, God's good and we're going to pray for you and all that. That's easy. What about when it's reversed? What about when somebody comes in your house? I can't believe it's so all good. God, it's all so good. Can you believe that this happened, this happened, this happened? How are you doing? No, my life stinks right now. And, uh, and, and, and I'm so happy for you. And, and no, that's not how you feel. You're like, Oh, these people, you know, that's usually sometimes what we're thinking. And, and you know, but like, it's hard to love people and things are going great for them, but life kind of stinks for you. Right? That's, that becomes a test of love. The Bible says this. I love this verse. It's easy verse to read, hard verse to live, but it says this rejoice, with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Listen, it is so much easier to weep with those who weep. Someone's going through a tough time and you just want to minister to them and talk to them and help them, pray for them. But man, somebody else, it, go, it goes well. And, and it's, it's tough. Like um, this is a, about a year or so ago, um, a, friend, a, a, a friend of mine who's a writer, a publisher, called him and said, we want you to submit a book proposal to our, to our publishing house. And he says, uh, he says, okay. And, um, so he spends all this time putting together the, uh, the book proposal only to then at the end, the book, the, the publisher to say, yeah, I'm sorry. We're not going to, we're going to pass on, you know, and they rejected his book proposal. And he called me like, oh dude, I'm just, I'm so bummed out and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm crushed and he was wiped out. And so I called him like, dude, uh, listen, I've been there, you know, I've been, I can't even remember the number of publishers who have rejected me and uh, the ones who were even kind of mean about it. And, uh, you know, but anyway, it was just kind of a rough uh, thing. And uh, anyway, so when the whole thing was, uh, you know, kind of done, we encouraged them, you know, you got to hang on and hang in there. And it take. you got to keep writing because that's what God's calling you to do. You keep writing. And then, um, you know, it takes a while for people to get excited about your book. And then now same week, once again, this was about a year, year and a half ago, same week, Another buddy of mine calls me, same publisher. And he's like, dude, I just signed a multi-book deal with this publisher. Woo! And he's going crazy. And, um, you know, and, 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 and my, my buddy, uh, he, he's calling his, and I'm like, man, what do you think? Man, my first thought was like, drop dead, you loser. And, uh, and, and, he's, and, and, and now the weird thing is this. And now I remember when I signed my, my multi-book deal. And, um, and I thought, man, somebody's probably saying that about me right now. And, uh, but I'm, I'm living with it. And, uh, but now listen, and you say, listen, because it's easy, it's easy to, um, to, to, to be happy, you know, when, you know, or be sad when somebody is, is going through a tough time, but man, can we be happy when things aren't going great for, for us? You know, can we, can we rejoice when it's not going well, um, for them? Because, but you know what radical love does? Listen, cultural love, it's like the grass. It's just everything is dependent on, oh, you know, like the, it's like the grass that withers. Is the sun good? Is there enough rain? How's the soil? And, and, but, it, but it ends up withering nonetheless. That's what a cultural love does. Listen, another type of love, here's what it does. Radical love throws a party. That's what it does. Ra- listen to what the Bible says. This is in 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth love rejoices when good things happen, when great things happen to people. Um, some of you know, and I, I talk about my kids all the time, but some of you know uh, that, that we have three great kids, and, and my daughter is six, and um, Xander is three, going to be four, and Olivia is one. And, but what a lot of people don't know is that it actually took my wife and I 10 years uh, to have our first child. And, you know, and, and we weren't one of these people that were like, well, we're going to wait a couple of years. And we just wanted everything God had for us. You know, um, Carrie and I uh, both came from a broken home. And so the, the idea of having a, a family was very important to us. And so we wanted to have kids right away. And, and you know, once if it doesn't happen in the first year or two, you're like, oh, you know, it hasn't happened. And, and then like three years into it, um, you're kind of wondering like, hey, why haven't, um, why haven't we had any kids yet? And four years into it, you're looking and they're like, what's wrong with her? And, uh, and then she's looking at me like, what's wrong with him? And so anyway, like probably about four and a half, five years into our marriage, we, we both, we went to a a doctor to see if we, everybody's okay, you know, and, and then you got to do all these awkward things at the doctor's office, which I won't repeat. And, uh, and then, um, and then the doctor comes back and you love when the doctor's open with this sentence. I don't know why, but, um, he says, I don't know why you're not having kids because you're both perfectly healthy. Like okay, well that's great, and uh, that's a super helpful. Glad I paid that money, Doc. Uh, and so now here's here's what happens. But mind you, during all this time, everyone that I know is getting pregnant. It's like everybody and their mother is having a baby. I'm eighty, but I had a baby. Who knew? And uh, you know, we got all this stuff, right? And uh, and it's like, yeah. And you know, and then you start, th- you know, and, and 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 here's what happens is that, um, and then you know, and, and There's this kind of feeling that comes up, you know, and, 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 and there, and I remember Carrie and I, one night, um, we had this little townhouse that, that we used to live in. It's not that far from here. And, um, one night we're, we're in this little townhouse and we're talking and it's like another one of our friends, um, had a baby and they were upset because it was, no, I wanted to get pregnant like six months from now, not right now. And it's like, these are just people you just want to smack around. And, uh, it was like, you know, you just have problems anyway, anyway, center. And, um. And so anyway, uh, so they're, they're like, they're, they're griping to us because, well, I, w- I didn't want get, to get pregnant now. I wanted to get married six months from now. And I'm like, dude, what, what are you doing? Like this atomic clock that you have. Anyway, and so we, and, and it's kind of like, you know, there's these feelings, you know, you can have like this kind of pity party. And let me tell you this, so when it comes to a pity party, I'm like a pity party planner, okay? I can put on the best parties. Anyway, and, uh, and, and I just, and Carrie and I were having this conversation and, and we just made a decision that we're not going to be those people. We're not going to be the people that rain on everybody else's parade. We're going to be the people that, here's what we're going to do. We're going to show radical love. And, we're at, here's what we're, and we are going to be the happiest people for them. And we were. We were the happiest people for all our friends. You want us to babysit? Bring them on. We'll take them. And, uh, and, and we started babysitting for our friends and all that kind of stuff. And, and we decided that we were going to be as happy for them as we wanted them to be happy for us the day that it came. And you know what happened? Let me tell you something. Um, and I think about this all the time. Uh, and just, just, last, just last night, um, I'm, I'm putting my daughter Mia to bed. And, uh, and I, you know, we have these conversations with the kids um, all the time. But I'm putting Mia to bed, right? And uh, I pray for her. I pray for all the kids before they go to sleep. And, and so I, I, I pray for her. And I say, Mia, um, I want you to know something, that you are very special to us. And I said, Listen, I love you so much, and I love Xander so much, and I love Olivia so much, but I want you to know that you are very special to us. Because there were so many years that we prayed, and we wanted to have a baby, and we couldn't. And then, two weeks before our 10th anniversary, God gave us you. And I said, So, Mia, every day of your life, I want you to know something that you are the answer to our prayer. And, uh, and, and, uh, um, it just, uh, you, see, there, there's something about speaking these these things into the lives of your kids that just is, um, it does something amazing in them, and it does something amazing to me. That I, I see her, and, and listen, that girl really is, every day that girl wakes up in the morning knowing something about herself. That there were people, her parents, who prayed to God, and that the answer to the prayer was her. And she walks through her life knowing that she has worth, knowing that she has value, knowing that she's loved. Never wondering, do my parents care about me? Does God have a plan for me? No, no, no. She wakes up every day knowing that, listen, there was a prayer that was prayed and the answer was her. And I'm telling you, friends, you, know, you want to know what that kind of love does when you're just happy for people, even though you haven't been blessed yet? It sets you free. It sets you free. Uh, you know, instead of being mad that somebody else was blessed and and and, uh, and, uh, and all that, listen, rejoice with them, because it's, it may sound crazy, but it is the best medicine, and it will set you free from the jealousy and the envy and the trap of comparing yourself. Well, oh, God did that for them. Why did you do it? No, no it'll, all of that, because the Bible talks about a love that is based in action. It's not a feeling. It's it, that love in the Bible is a is a word of action. It says this, that's in your notes, that love is patient and kind. That love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. All those things. The Bible says that love is patient. Um, if you, if, I don't know if you have an old King James. You can look it up later. The old King James, it doesn't say that love is patient. It says that, this word. It says that love is long-suffering. You ever been to the DMV? Yeah. You know, all, you know what long-suffering is all about. Right? And, and, and so it means, listen that love is willing to put up with a lot. Patience says this, when I should throw in the towel, I won't throw in the towel. You see, kindness is a different angle for love. It's the proactive side of love. In our culture, kindness is like, it's like this vanilla word and it doesn't really get any real, nobody really gets it. Like, you're such a kind person. Like, what does that even mean? Like, what kind? Yeah, I'm kind, what kind are you? You know, and... Uh, uh, and, and, but kindness, listen, kindness in the Greek language has its, its, its root word in this usefulness, that it's useful, that it's doing acts of kindness, acts of usefulness that express love. People talk about, oh, I do random acts of kindness right, and I'm cool with that, but I'm a much bigger fan of the variety. That's the intentional acts of kindness where we express love in a physical way, you know, and, and listen, you want to show radical love, use kindness. What does that mean? That means that you know, if there's a guy in your office that's new, take him to lunch. In fact, tell everybody, hey, so and so, he's just his new first week here. We're gonna take him to lunch and celebrate the fact that he's that he's with us. Well, nobody did that for me. Then do what you wish. But you bet you wish they did. Then do it because you wish they did for you, and it'll make a better thing for him. Bless him. When your neighbor's out of town, mow his lawn. It'll blow his mind. I'm telling you, I got. Uh, you know, we just moved to a new house about two, a month and a half ago or so. And um, the, the, there's, there's an older woman who lives on our left, Mrs. Cooper, who is like an absolute sweetheart. And uh, so we, I talk to her all the time. And uh, Mrs. Cooper, now I was, you know, we moved to a house and the, there's like those rust stains or whatever that you get from the well. So I'm getting all those things off with the stuff called goof off, which is really doesn't make, make any sense because you're not goofing off. You're actually spraying the stuff. But, so, but anyway, but I noticed that she's got some rust stains on her house. So I decided that I was going to get the rough stains off my house, and I decided to get the rough stains off her house too. And she comes out, and she's blown away. And I'm like, Miss Cooper, that's how I roll. And, uh, and, she's, like, and she's like, oh, that's so nice of you. And I'm like, listen, Miss Cooper, and we talked about this, but you know I'm a pastor, and we're, she's a Christian, and whatever. And I'm like, listen, you know the Bible says love your neighbor. And that means everybody, but you're actually my neighbor. So it's going to be like a love fest all up in this place. And, uh, and so she was, she's, she's anyway, we're like best friends now. And, uh, but I'm telling you, it's just doing things that are intentional. Uh, this is, I don't know. I, I gotta say, it was probably like a year ago or so carries at Publix and uh, she's just picking up a couple of things and she's in the, you know, 10 items or less lane. And, um, and there's a woman in, in front of her that, uh, you know, the cashier scans all her stuff and then she can't find her, um, she can't find her, her wallet she's looking, the woman tells her, oh, it's going to be, you know, however much it was. I mean, it's 10 items or less. I mean, how expensive could it be? Unless she's buying like, you know, 10 steaks or something, but didn't see, it wasn't that much, but she's buying 10 items. And, uh, so she, she can't find her, her wallet. And then she starts to cry. And she's like, this is the kind of week I'm having. And she just really starts kind of breaking down. And, and, uh, she's like, you know, in my life, it's always like this. And, and she starts saying that. And then, um, and she's just going through a tough season of life. And, um, you know, and then my wife comes and just ca- hands the cashier the money and says, Hey, don't worry about it. This one's on me. And then the lady starts crying even more. And Carrie's like, Listen, um, God loves you. And God put it in my heart to do this for you. And then the cashier starts crying. <laughs> and then Carrie starts crying, because Carrie will cry at anything. And uh, Carrie starts crying. The cashier is crying. And then the lady's crying. And there's a guy in the back. He says, Hey, at St. Arnold's, nobody cries. Let's keep this line moving. Right? And, you know, and, and listen, everybody's, everybody's wiped out. Why? Because that's how powerful, that's how powerful an act of kindness can be. Right? And <laughs> maybe they do do that at Cianos. And, uh, that's probably what they say at Sanos. That's. And if you don't speak Spanish, someone will translate that. All right. Someone in your row will translate that business. And, uh. So, but listen, here's what happens most of the time. Most of the time we're standing in line and we're like, oh, these people. And you know, you're saying it because you just want them to hear. And then you make like a fake phone call like, "Yo, what's up? No, man, I'm here at public, but the line won't move. People got to be ready, but nobody's ready. And, and so they kind of, they do this whole thing, right? And, and, but listen, here's what kindness does. Kindness pays the bill. Kindness becomes an instrument in God's hand because listen, you've found yourself reading God's word and then you're, now you're understanding God's heart. Listen, here, here's, here's a verse. This is so huge. This is in Romans chapter two. This, 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 is, this should mean something to you. He has been very kind and patient, waiting for you to change but you think nothing of his kindness. And here's, this is awesome. But perhaps you do not know that God is so kind to you so that you will change your hearts and lives. Another translation says it this way, that it is the goodness, the kindness of God that leads us to change. Um, The problem is sometimes we miss the kindness of God the kindness of God that gets us to repent, the kindness of God that gets us to turn and change our direction and move into his direction because we're so focused on the stuff that's not going right. Listen, most of you know, um, and I appreciate a lot of you sent me messages this week, um, saying, Hey, um, I'm, I'm, I'm praying for your family in Boston. And, um, and I, I have a lot of family in Boston still where I'm from and, um, all the stuff that happened at, um, on, uh, on Patriots day on, on the day of the Boston marathon. And, um, you know, um, you know. I, I heard about those bombs going off and all I could think about is I have an older brother and an older sister and I'm, I'm making phone calls and I'm like, where are you? Are you okay? And, um, and then um, I get, a, uh, I get a, a text from my nephew. Uh, my nephew's 22. He works at the Prudential Center, which is the largest building in Boston. And um, he sends me a text and he says, Uncle Robert, they found a bomb in my building. Um, at the bottom of the Prudential Center, there's, there's this mall and they found a bomb at the Cheesecake Factory um in in this um in in this building and then he was tasked um that he had to go into every closet on the 52 story building uh him and his team to make sure that um there were no other bombs in this in this building and um and sure enough the bomb squad came and got the bomb out and that was one of the ones that they recovered that didn't go off um and uh and I mean I, and I'm like beside myself you know, and it's, um, you know, it's in the, it's in the evening and, um, you know, and I'm calling people and talking to my cousins and my brother and my sister and I'm, and I'm talking to all these people and making sure everybody's okay. And then my nephew, um, he tells me, he says, Hey, listen, um, and we're on lockdown and they're not letting us out of the building. And then he, and then he calls me and he says, um, he sent me a text. He says, listen, they're, they're letting me, they're letting us go home. And I said, kid, you get in that car and you go straight home and you text me the minute you get in, inside. And, um. And listen, everybody. Everybody was safe, and everybody was okay, and uh, you know. And, I, and I'm watching TV and all that, and um, and and eventually, you know, you just got to turn that off. That stuff off um, at some point. And it just started. I just kind of sat back in my chair, and I'm just thinking about how fragile life really is. How these guys at this marathon—they thought it was going to be a normal day, a highlight of their life—to run this marathon, and for three of them, it was the day that they met their maker. For 170 of them, it was a day that would um, inextricably alter their life forever. But here's the reality. Sometimes it's in the midst of these things that we realize that God loves us with a fervent love. That he loves you so much. And listen, and I understand that this might not even make sense right now. That he loves you so much That in his kindness, he will allow challenges into your life to show you your need for him so that you'll come to him so that he can forgive you and change you and transform you and help you on the path from getting here to there. And I believe that's what God wants to do in this place, in this house right now. So let's pray together. And Lord, I want to thank you loving us, for loving us fervently, for not letting go, for Lord showing us kindness when we didn't deserve it, for showing us patience when you could have walked away. But Lord, those of us who know you, we are so grateful. And God, for those of us that are here that haven't made a decision to follow you, God, may this be May this be the moment that changes and marks our lives forever. The day that we heard about your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness that will draw us to you. In Jesus' name.